1: Margaret Brennan in Washington, and today on Face the Nation, the war in Ukraine takes a turn for the worst, and leaders around the world desperately search for a way to end the death and devastation. On day 18, the crisis in Ukraine is intensifying. Overnight, Russian forces fired missiles for the first time into Lviv, a city in western Ukraine dangerously close to the Polish border. The relentless bombing, shelling, Missile attacks and atrocities in other key regions of Ukraine have increased. And there are serious concerns in the intelligence community about Vladimir Putin introducing chemical weapons into Russia's blitz on the devastated country of 44 million citizens.
2: I'm not going to speak about the intelligence, but, but uh, Russia would pay a severe price they use
1: chemical weapons. What would that severe price be? PRESIDENT BIDEN MAINTAINS THAT THE U.S. WILL NOT SEND TROOPS, BUT WILL CONTINUE TO DEFEND NATO'S INTERESTS IN THE REGION.
2: DIRECT CONFRONTATION BETWEEN NATO AND RUSSIA IS WORLD WAR III, SOMETHING WE MUST STRIVE TO prevent.
1: WE'LL HAVE THE LATEST REPORTING FROM UKRAINE AND HEAR FROM ITS FOREIGN MINISTER, Dmytro KULEVA. PLUS, WE'LL ASK WHITE HOUSE NATIONAL SECURITY ADVISER JAKE SULLIVAN WHAT OUR OPTIONS ARE AT THIS CRITICAL TIME. We'll also look at the worldwide economic impact of the war in Ukraine. Inflation in the United States, already high, leaps yet again as Russia's invasion sends the global oil market into turmoil. Is the president correct when he says it's due to the Putin price hike?
2: Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fault of Putin.
1: We'll talk with the head of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Georgieva, and Mohamed El-Aryan, the top economist at Allianz Capital. All that and more is just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There is no end in sight to Russia's rampage on Ukraine. The Ukrainian government says the civilian death toll alone is in the thousands. Ukraine's president said today that 13,000 Russians are dead in the conflict. The U.S. cannot confirm that death toll. Today, news about the death of an American journalist, Brent Renault, killed in a Russian attack on the capital city of Kiev. Our Charlie Dagata has been reporting from Kiev since the invasion nearly three weeks ago. Charlie?
3: Good morning, Margaret. The regional governor said more than 30 cruise missiles struck that base less than 20 miles from the Polish border. It's a military base that's been used by the U.S. and NATO partners for training exercises, drawing the West and U.S. allies closer to the fight. The overnight aerial assault in Lviv is the latest attack in a Russian offensive that has widened and intensified by the hour. Russian tanks rumble down the street in the besieged port city of Mariupol. There's been no let-up in Russia's relentless bombardment. To the West, in Russian-occupied Melitopol. Thousands of residents protested in the streets after a video emerged appearing to show Russian troops kidnapping its mayor. And the Ukrainian government says a second mayor has been abducted from the city of Dnipro-Rudna. There's now growing evidence that the airstrike that destroyed the maternity hospital in Mariupol may be part of a systematic campaign. The World Health Organization has verified 24 attacks on medical facilities since the invasion began. After taking fire at this hospital in Kyiv, they covered the windows and worked with the lights out
4: at night. On this building, look, not this building, the highest floor work a sniper. A sniper? Sniper.
3: While we were there, doctors were saving the life of a first responder torn apart by shrapnel even while trying to rescue the wounded. With the Russian advance now bearing down, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky rallied residents to defend the capital in an overnight address. If they kill all of us, then they will enter Kyiv, he said. If this is the goal, then let them enter, but they will not find friends among us. It is already a reality in the suburb of Buka where they're burying the dead in mass graves, a terrifying prelude of what may be to come. Now, the outskirts are really getting hit hard now, and as Russian forces move into more densely populated areas, the civilian death toll is rising dramatically, and residents are now risking their lives just to get away. Margaret?
1: Charlie Daggett in Kyiv, thank you. We turn now to Odessa in the south of Ukraine, and our Chris Livesay for a look at how the Ukrainians are coping.
5: It's the pendulum of war. First deathly loud, then at once a deafening silence. In the Black Sea port city of Mikolaev, the morgues are full mostly with civilians these victims laid out in the freezing cold (laughs) among those spared gather here below an abandoned market their childhood interrupted by an invading army even though these are russian speakers the very people putin says he wants to protect says the mayor Alexander senkiewicz
4: i think the the main idea is to kill ukrainians as much as they can it's complete liar when they say that they want to protect us they want to kill as much ukrainians as they can human
5: obstacles on the road to Odessa, the former crown jewel of the Russian Empire, and today Ukraine's biggest port. It's a city half deserted, the half that's still here steals itself with anti-tank defenses and optimism, like this soldier who calls himself Snake. 15 days we've stood up against the second biggest army in the world, he says, it's weaker than us. Others fill sandbags where a Russian fleet could float ashore any day. Sergey, a plastic surgeon, is ready to stitch up combat wounds, even take up arms.
6: Russian nation, look at us. We're a very peaceful nation,
5: but we all have the brave heart. Today, British military intelligence says Russian forces are advancing from Crimea in an effort to sidestep Mykolaiv and come straight here to Odessa. Margaret.
1: CHRIS LIVESAY IN Odessa. THANK YOU. AND HERE WITH US NOW IS NATIONAL SECURITY CORRESPONDENT DAVID MARTIN. DAVID, uh, GREAT TO HAVE YOU HERE. THIS ATTACK OVERNIGHT IN THE WEST, THIS IS THE FARTHEST RUSSIA HAS GONE TOWARDS NATO TERRITORY. WHY ARE THEY DOING THAT?
2: WELL, uh, THIS IS AN AIRBASE OUT THERE. THEY HIT uh, hangars ON THE AIRBASE. IT'S THE BASE WHERE AMERICAN TROOPS USED TO TRAIN UKRAINIAN FORCES, BUT ALL THE AMERICANS WERE PULLED OUT BEFORE THE INVASION. But it is still where uh, much of the Ukrainian Air Force is based, particularly those MiG-29s we've been hearing so much about. So n- now the, uh, the Russians have uh, struck three airfields in the West, which is where the predominance of the Ukrainian Air Force is. So clearly, they are trying to destroy the Ukrainian Air Force on the ground.
1: For about two, more than two weeks now, the Ukrainians have kept... Russia at bay from the capital. Are they close to encircling it?
2: They get a little closer every day. I mean, you still have to call it a a creep or a crawl. And actually, actually the latest today is that they uh, got reversed a little bit. The Russians got reversed a little bit in the one of the towns northeast of uh, Kiev, which had been isolated, and the Ukrainians were able to reopen a resupply route into that city. So. It's grind them out, but you heard what Charlie Daggett has said. uh, You can hear the shelling getting closer and closer.
1: Russia, though, is willing to use munitions that have been banned under international law. We know that. We heard President Biden warn about chemical weapons use. Are we seeing movement of those kind of weapons into Ukraine?
2: A Pentagon official I talked to this morning said there is no movement of chemical weapons into Ukraine, at least they're not seeing the the signs of it. The concern is that the Russians will seize one of these um, biomedical research facilities that Ukraine has, where they do research on deadly pathogens like um, botulism and, and anthrax, seize one of those facilities, weaponize the pathogen, and then blame it on Ukraine and the U.S., because the U.S. has been providing support for some of the research being done in those facilities. But uh, it appears the Ukrainians have gotten most of those pathogens destroyed.
1: The World Health Organization reportedly had been warning about some of that. What you're describing sounds like increased acts of desperation, but then Russia still has considerable combat power here. They've lost three generals, reportedly. I mean, how do we judge what they have left?
2: Well, they still have something like 90 percent of their combat power that they started in the war with mm-hmm. still available. But they're starting to run out of things. They're starting to run out particularly of precision-guided weapons. And sometime in the near future, maybe this, this week, uh, Putin is going to have to make a decision about uh, starting to bring uh, reinforcements in from the interior of Russia. Certainly more munitions, maybe more troops. And that will uh, obviously be a sign that mm-hmm. he continues to go ahead and, and double down on this uh, grind them out uh, type of warfare that he's adopted.
1: David Martin, thank you for your reporting. Sure. We go now to White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Good morning to you, Jake. Good morning. There are a lot of developments to get through with you. Uh, I do want to ask you about these reports that a U.S. journalists have been killed in Ukraine by Russian forces. Do we know what the consequence would be for Russia killing an American?
7: Well, this is obviously shocking and horrifying, and uh, I've just learned about it as I came on to air here. So I will be consulting with my colleagues, we will be consulting with the Ukrainians. Uh, to, to determine uh, how this happened and uh, then to measure and execute appropriate consequences as a result of it.
1: Jake, there are reports of white phosphorus being used in Ukraine, reports of chlorine gas. How imminent is a chemical weapons attack in Ukraine?
7: We can't predict a time or place. All we can say is that uh, there is an escalating level of rhetoric on the Russian side trying to accuse the Ukrainians in the United States Of potentially using chemical or biological weapons and that's a tell Margaret Mm -hmm. that's an indicator that in fact the Russians are getting ready to do it and try and pin the blame elsewhere and nobody should fall for that that is why we've gone out so decisively at the United Nations Security Council and elsewhere to rob the Russians of the capacity uh, to pin this on anyone other than themselves and as the president said on Friday, if in fact the Russians do use chemical weapons in Ukraine, they will pay a severe price.
1: Overnight, Poland's president has said use of a weapon of mass destruction would be a game changer for NATO. President Biden seemed to say military force is completely off the table in Ukraine, even if a weapon like this was used. Is that the case?
7: We are consulting with our allies and collectively we are communicating directly to the Russians Sitting here before you today, I'm not going to go further than what President Biden said on Friday, which is that the Russians would pay a severe price if they were to uh, move forward with chemical weapons.
1: But none of the sanctions you've imposed so far have stopped Putin. So uh, is there any red line for the administration here in terms of humanitarian catastrophe that would change the president's calculus? Is this a game changer?
7: The use of weapons of mass destruction would be uh, a shocking... Additional line that Putin is crossing in terms of uh, his assault on international law and international norms, his assault on uh, the human rights and human dignity of the people of Ukraine. Uh, but, bottom line, Margaret, the premise of your question, which is, well, sanctions haven't stopped Putin, so are they not working? I think we have to look at this in two respects. One is, um, have we imposed severe costs on Russia? for its invasion of Ukraine? And the answer is yes. And the second is, have we been able to help the Ukrainians defend themselves against these attacks, to push back Russian forces from being able to take major cities, including the capital city, Kyiv? And the answer to that is yes, as well. And part of the reason why Putin is resorting To the possibility of extreme tactics like the use of chemical weapons is because he's frustrated, because Mm -hmm. his forces aren't advancing.
1: You said that consequences have been communicated to Russia, but from my reporting, I've heard there's no presidential contact, there's no Secretary of State contact, the military leaders in Russia just aren't picking up the phone. You personally have communicated this to someone in the Russian government?
7: I'm not going to get specific about the nature of our communication with the Russians. I will also say that it's not just the United States uh, that has channels to the Russians, but many of our allies and partners. And we coordinate closely in terms of uh, what we communicate to them, how and on what topics. Uh, And that will continue. But it will continue through private diplomatic channels.
1: The U.S. policy is to help Ukrainians defend themselves. How confident are you that you can keep those supply lines open?
7: WE BELIEVE IN OUR CAPACITY TO CONTINUE TO FLOW SUBSTANTIAL AMOUNTS OF MILITARY ASSISTANCE, WEAPONS AND SUPPLIES TO THE FRONT IN UKRAINE. Uh, WE HAVE BEEN SUCCESSFUL IN DOING SO THUS FAR, AND WE BELIEVE THAT WE HAVE A SYSTEM IN PLACE THAT WILL ALLOW US TO CONTINUE TO DO SO, NOTWITHSTANDING THE RUSSIAN THREATS. AND WE BELIEVE THAT THESE WEAPONS ARE MAKING A SIGNIFICANT DIFFERENCE in helping the Ukrainians defend themselves. Of course, we're merely helping provide the tools.
1: This is getting very close to NATO territory. Is the U.S. policy that any strike into Polish territory or airspace, intentional or unintentional, is an attack on NATO?
7: The President has been clear repeatedly that the United States will work with our allies to defend every inch of NATO territory, and that means every inch. And if there is a military attack on NATO territory, uh, it would cause the invocation of Article 5, and we would bring the full force of the NATO alliance to bear in responding to it.
1: But that's an accidental, errant shot?
7: Look, all I will say is that if Russia attacks, fires upon, Uh, takes uh, a shot at NATO territory, uh, the NATO alliance would respond to that.
1: It's uh, been a very busy uh, few hours for you. I'm tracking what is happening overnight as well in Iraq. Um, Iran's Revolutionary Guard has now claimed responsibility for firing ballistic missiles into northern Iraq towards a location where the U.S. consulate is located. Are you condemning Iran for carrying out this attack?
7: Of course, we condemn Iran for carrying out this attack. We're still gathering information on what precisely the target was. What we know at this hour, Margaret, is that no U.S. facilities were hit, no U.S. persons were harmed. But the United States is absolutely clear. We will do whatever it takes to defend our people, our interests and our allies. And we are in consultation with the Iraqi government and the government in Iraqi Kurdistan uh, in part to help them get the missile defense capabilities uh, to be able to defend themselves in their cities. So the nuclear deal is not dead? This is not deal the is first not time dead. Iran has... As things stand right now, uh, the the various negotiators are back home in their capitals, and we will have to see what happens in the days ahead with respect to the diplomacy around
0: the nuclear deal.
1: Jake, I have to let you go. Thank you for your time today. Face the Nation will be back.
0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley.
1: We're back with the foreign minister of Ukraine, Dmitro Kuleba, who is in Kyiv. Good morning to you, minister. Good morning. The Biden administration is warning of an impending chemical weapons attack in Ukraine. Do you have any further information about where or when or what the consequences would be? Would NATO defend you?
6: Well, we don't know the details, but we do not exclude that option because we see that uh, Russia is using one prohibited weapon after another to break us down. And the United Nations have already confirmed that some of the internationally prohibited weapons have been used uh, against Ukrainian civilians, against our cities. And uh, when you're asking me whether NATO will defend us, well, we do not have, uh, we do not expect that. Um, What we are asking is very simple thing. We say, arm Ukraine and we will do the rest. Uh, Give us all the weapons necessary, and we will fight for our own land and for our people.
1: President Biden approved another 200 million in weapons, but those are small arms, anti-aircraft as well. There is the promise that Congress will be sending more money your way. What specific types of weapons do you need? What kind of sophisticated systems?
6: Well, the highest demand is in 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 planes, in fighting fighting jets, in attack uh, aircrafts, because uh, unfortunately the air force uh, power of Russia and Ukraine are uncomparable. Uh, and uh, yes, it's true that we shoot them down, but they also they also shoot us down. And if we lose control over the sky, we cannot prevent two things from happening. We cannot prevent. Uh, we cannot stop Russian bombers destroying our cities and killing civilians. And we cannot destroy Russian columns heading towards our big cities along the roads. To achieve these two purposes, we need more planes. This is the, uh, the most pressing issue. We frankly speaking, we don't understand all the explanations that we're given why we should not be, uh, why we should not be given uh, those planes. And uh, we'll continue <clears throat> putting pressure on our uh, and from all corners and requesting this assistance uh, from the United States and other partners.
1: It was on this program last Sunday that the Secretary of State Antony Blinken said uh, the decision by Poland to provide fighter jets to Ukraine gets a green light from the United States. Then, days later, President Biden spiked that. Do you have a sense that any country will give you fighter jets?
6: Well, it's, frankly, everything that happened uh, over the fighting jets in the last week uh, is kind of a diplomatic mystery. On the one hand, everyone is ready to do, to do it, but uh, uh, nothing is happening and we are not getting the planes. Uh, it reminds me of rather a ping-pong game where every side uh, throws uh, the ball to the other side and gets it back. Uh, We have no time for this kind of ping pong diplomacy. We need planes to save lives of our people and uh, to stop, to stop, to put an end to Russian domination in the sky.
1: The United States argues giving these jets would be escalatory and a risk to NATO, a risk to the United States, and that you have things like drones that work just fine.
6: I, to my view, this logic is flawed because how, drones are not escalatory and planes are escalatory. What is the logic behind it? Anti-tank weapons are not escalatory and uh, uh, planes are escalatory. First, what else Russia has to do for everyone to understand that they already reached the peak of escalation? They used, as I mentioned in the beginning, weapons prohibited by, the, by, by international conventions why are we so afraid of uh, another another escalation we need to, we we need to defend ourselves
1: the president of poland said that what happened in the past week specifically the bombing of that maternity hospital that got so much attention around the world that it bears the features of genocide is that what you believe Russia's intent is
6: well russia uh, president putin definitely uh, believes that ukraine uh, has no right to exist as a country he doesn't recognize our identity he says we are russians we are not we are not uh, ukrainians we are the same which is obviously not the case and uh, from what we've been seeing in recent uh, in recent three weeks is a series of uh, uh, deliberately committed war crimes crimes against humanity And uh, when they bomb uh, hospitals, maternity houses, schools, when they kill civilians passing by, trying to be evacuated from the war zone, that of course uh, indicates that they are trying to break us down and to destroy us.
1: Minister, thank you for your time and stay safe. Welcome back to Face the Nation. For a closer look at what Americans are thinking about the war in Ukraine, we go to CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Good morning to you, Anthony.
8: Good morning, Margaret.
1: You know, some of the biggest news of the week was the Biden administration's decision finally to put a block on imports of Russian petroleum products into the United States. So they admit it is going to make things more expensive for consumers. What did Americans think about that?
8: Uh, Margaret, there is wide support for oil sanctions against Russia, and something we don't get to say every day, it is bipartisan, in fact, really strong with both Democrats and Republicans. But importantly, in a poll, you want to follow up and ask people then, what if that means you're going to pay more at the pump? And when you do that, majority support remains at 63 percent. Now, this is something we'll have to watch. It might depend on just how much those prices rise. but. You ask people why it is that they support the sanctions, and it's not that they say they can readily afford it. It's that they say they want to help Ukraine and punish Russia. Margaret?
1: But inflation is already at a new 40-year high. So just how tolerant are people going to be?
8: Well, what happens is people feel like Russia is not going to stop at Ukraine. There's 69% who think that Russia is going to invade other countries. And they're concerned about a wider war. They're concerned about a global recession. And when you look at the folks who are most concerned about that, they're even more likely to support the oil sanctions. So you read this sense that people might be willing to pay more now in order to try to stop or avoid something worse later, Margaret.
1: Anthony, how do Americans assess the president's leadership during this crisis?
8: Well, his handling of it is up over the last week, but it's still not net positive. A couple of reasons for that. One is people say they still feel nervous about this. And secondly, there's half the country that says they want him to take stronger action towards Russia. So we followed up and we asked, well, what would be stronger action? And the things that pop out are even stronger sanctions and supplying more military weapons to Ukraine. We also looked at the idea of enforcing a no-fly zone. And here you see Americans' real wariness about getting into a wider war. Because in the abstract, you get a majority that says, yes, they'd support a no-fly zone. But then you follow up and ask, well, what if Russia takes that as an act of war? What if that leads to a direct US-Russia conflict? And then support really drops off, down to 38%. So you see Americans wanting to do something, wanting to stop Russia, but really concerned about being drawn in to a conflict, Margaret.
1: Anthony Salvanto, thank you. We'll be right back.
8: BP added more than $70 billion
0: to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit OV.COOP. That's OV.COOP.
1: Last week, harsh financial sanctions and trade restrictions were put in place to punish Russia and cripple its economy. Among them, the banning of all Russian imports of oil, gas and coal, as well as goods like vodka and caviar. Joining us now is the Managing Director of the IMF, Kristalina Georgieva. Welcome to Face the Nation.
9: Thank you very much for having me.
1: I wonder how you can calculate the total impact of all of these restrictions that have been put on Russia. I mean, will Russia default on its debts and what impact will that have to the global economy?
9: Let's remember that the reason they are Unprecedented sanctions is because the unthinkable happened. A devastating war in Ukraine. And the impact of the sanctions is quite severe for the Russian economy. We expect deep recession in Russia, and this abrupt contraction is affecting already how the Russian uh, population is uh, taking the hit on them, Uh, the rubble depreciated significantly. What does it mean? Real incomes have shrunk. Purchasing power of the Russian population has significantly diminished. Mm -hmm. In terms of servicing debt obligations, I can say that no longer we think of Russian default as improbable event russia has the money to service its debt but cannot access it what i'm more concerned is that there are consequences that go beyond ukraine and russia
1: right i mean you have said that the crisis in ukraine could cause famine in Africa, for example. You look at the wheat imports and the price spikes there. Which countries around the world are you most concerned about? Is this going to destabilize other governments?
9: What we are mostly concerned about are the immediate neighbors of Russia and Ukraine, uh, the Central Asian uh, republics, the Caucasus, Moldova, because they have trade relations with both Russia and Ukraine, more than the rest of the world. And because of this outflow of people, refugee wave in Europe that is of the order of magnitude of what happened in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So there, the impact is most uh, significant. Beyond the immediate neighbors, there are two groups of countries we are very worried. The first group are countries that have yet to recover from the COVID-induced economic crisis. For them, this shock is particularly painful. And the second group of countries are those that are more dependent on energy imports from Russia. Because there, the impact on consumption, but also on inflation, mm-hmm. is going to be more prominent.
1: Are we looking, because of the debt levels you talk about, the vulnerability, are we looking at the potential of this becoming a financial crisis for the rest of the world?
9: For now, no. Uh, When we look at the uh, total exposure of banks to Russia, it is about $120 billion. Not negligent, but definitely not systemically relevant. And what we are also uh, seeing is that while inevitably we are going to downgrade our growth projections for 2022, it is still going to be a positive growth rate. For countries that have been fast to recover Mm -hmm. from the COVID crisis, like the United States, growth is robust. It is those that were falling behind where the impact is more severe. And let me say this. Yes, war in uh, Ukraine means hunger in Africa, but war in Ukraine also has social implications for many, many countries through the three channels that are Mm -hmm. already demonstrably impactful. One, commodity prices, Mm
0: -hmm.
9: energy, grains, fertilizers, metals. Two, the impact that has on inflation and in countries where inflation has already been high, this is dramatic. Like the United States. Like United States, like many emerging market countries. Think of Brazil, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And three, what do we do when we have to fight inflation? we tighten financial conditions.
1: I have a question for you. You've Mm. been working on emergency funding for Ukraine. Mm. If that government falls, can Russia seize that money? If Russia installs a puppet government in Ukraine, can they get access to that money?
9: We are thinking of our interactions with Ukraine as being uh, uh, very productive. We have provided $1.4 billion in emergency financing into the Ukrainian special account with the IMF. In other words, it is being drawn by the government of Ukraine and nobody else can touch it. Uh, And we see that uh, the Ukrainian uh, authorities have been remarkable. Margaret, Mm -hmm. we had negotiations on this 1.4 billion and my staff tells me they can hear the air raids, sirens, and yet works go on. Mm-hmm. I have family in Ukraine. They tell me they can still pull money from bankomats, even in the city of Kharkiv, that is the second largest heavily-bombarded uh, city. So yeah. bravo to the Ukrainian authorities for what they do.
1: Director, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. And we'll be tracking that ongoing story. We want to go now to the chief economic advisor to Allianz, and that's Mohamed Al-Aryan, who joins us this morning from Cambridge, England. Good morning to you.
4: Good morning, Margaret. Uh,
1: In this country, we saw yet another high, a 40-year high in inflation. Um, It's the Fed's job to control that, and the Fed chief has some big decisions this week. What are you expecting?
4: Well, he doesn't have an easy decision. As you said, inflation is high and will go higher because of what's happening in Ukraine. And basically, he's got to make a choice. Hit the brakes, regain credibility, but risk a recession, or tap the brakes, and we have an inflation problem going into next year. We are here because the Fed is very late and has no good policy options available anymore.
1: No good policy options you're expecting what kind of rate hike and and what is the risk of recession at this point? Goldman Sachs, I know, up their forecast to at least a 20% chance of a recession in the United States.
4: Yes, and they are thinking that we're gonna get seven hikes this year. Um, I don't think we will get seven hikes. I don't think this economy can support seven hikes. And if we do get seven hikes, we will go into recession. That's the cost of being late. I suspect that what we'll hear on Wednesday, Margaret, is a twenty five basis point rate hike. We will hear that more are on the way, and we will hear that they will always also contract what has become a nine trillion balance sheet. We are in this absurd situation that last week, when we got the seven point nine percent inflation print, the Fed was still putting liquidity into this economy. Mm-hmm. That just gives you a feel for how misaligned policy has been.
1: Well, Mohamed, you've been a critic for some time. Uh, You know, the White House this week is calling inflation a Putin price hike. But you were on this program back in December talking about how serious inflation was. Where does the responsibility for this lie exactly?
4: So it lies in the circumstances. It lies in the Fed being late and mischaracterizing inflation. Till the end of November, they were calling it transitory, but also, to be fair to the administration, they w- there will be a Putin inflation component. I estimate that at 7.9%, we will probably get very close or above 10% before we come down, and that difference will be all because of the disruption that Putin's war uh, implied for commodity prices, supply chains, and shipments.
1: Double-digit inflation, when do you think we will see that? I mean, people are really feeling it now.
4: Yeah, if it happens, it will happen in the summer, and people will feel it. The worst thing for us would be not only do we feel the higher inflation, but we also feel income losses. That's why it's critical to avoid a recession. We, we can't avoid stagflation, lower growth, higher prices, but we certainly can avoid a recession, and we can bounce back quickly.
1: As we said, I mean, it is the Fed's job to control inflation. The White House is saying both that it is not their fault, but that they're doing something about it at the same time. Are there political measures here that actually can be taken?
4: There are, and they're stuck in Congress. You can do more to increase labor force participation so that wage pressure comes down. That's about childcare. That's about easing people's way back into the labor force. You can do more to enhance productivity, and you can do more to supply, uh, to remove supply bottlenecks. The administration has policies. Lots of them are stuck in Congress right now.
1: You know, when you talk about supply chain bottlenecks, um, we have to remember, we are coming out of this global pandemic. And just overnight, we're seeing headlines that local authorities in Shenzhen, China, have imposed a new lockdown there due to a COVID outbreak. This is a major manufacturing hub for the rest of the world. I don't want to overstate this, but how concerned should we be about this as a factor?
4: We should, because China is sticking to its zero COVID policy at a time when Omicron makes that policy very hard to implement. So they will have sequential lockdowns that will have spillovers to us. Um, You know, we can be a good house, but we're living right now in a really tough neighborhood, and that's why it's really important to respond quickly. Mm -hmm. We can't fall behind again on policies.
1: Again on policies, okay. So that's up to the Fed. Um, But when we look ahead for the year, the treasury secretary is already saying we should expect 12 months of inflation. When can we play catch up there and bring prices back down or are these tools really out of the hands of, of policymakers at this point?
4: So Secretary Yellen is correct, we we unfortunately are going to have at least 12 months of uncomfortable inflation, something that we haven't had since the 70s and 80s. And that's going to be especially problematic for the more vulnerable segments of our society. It hits food and gas particularly hard. Um, As to what we can do, we have to be really careful that we don't get another wave of inflation due to what economists call de-anchored inflation expectations. Basically Margaret, it's a simple story. Right now, I will go in, I being the American worker, and ask for compensation for past inflation. If I don't have faith in my policymakers, I will also Mm -hmm. ask for compensation for future inflation. I wanna protect myself preemptively. (laughs) If that happens, then we have that awful price, wage, price cycle.
1: Mohamed Al-Aryan, thank you very much for your analysis this morning, and we will track what happens in the coming days. We will be back in a moment.
0: Today marks two years
1: since the start of a national emergency in the U.S. due to COVID-19. Earlier, we spoke with the chairman and CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, about his book Moonshot, inside Pfizer's nine-month race to make the impossible possible. Here's part of our conversation. Do you think that we will, every fall, have to prepare ourselves for a booster shot with COVID just like we get a flu shot?
10: I think so. Any variants are coming, and Omicron was the first one that was able to evade in a skillful way, the immune protection that we're giving, but also we know that the duration of the protection doesn't last very long. So, what we are trying to do, and we are working very diligently right now, it is to make not only a vaccine that will protect, again, all variants, including Omicron, but also something that uh, can protect for at least a year.
1: So, you've seen some of that data on a, on a fourth dose, a second booster shot. Mm-hmm. You think it will be necessary?
10: It is necessary, a fourth booster right now, the protection that you are getting from the third, it is uh, good enough, actually quite good for hospitalizations and deaths, it's not that good against infections, but doesn't last very long. Mm -hmm. But we are just submitting those data to the FDA and then we will see what the experts also will say, outside Pfizer.
1: So the question that was number one on my list, and I think for so many parents, is, is when will the vaccine be available for those children five and under? Potentially may,
10: if it works, if the will do their utmost to review them fast. So, and we will be ready with manufacturing.
1: You are a global corporation. Um, how is the instability in Europe right now regarding Russia and Ukraine impacting you? Do you expect supply chain issues or pricing effects from this?
10: No, I don't think that we will have—we are very independent in terms of uh, our supplying our ingredients from those parts of the world. We are not making uh, over there medicines. Uh, We we do do make some medicines in Russia, for Russia, but we do not export. We do not expect to see in the world any disruptions, right now at least, because of this war.
1: Do you—you don't plan, then, to divest from Russia?
10: Every time that you have— bans or let's say trade restrictions typically they don't apply to medicines because this is about lives how can you say i'm not going to send to the cancer medicines to russians because of what they did usually they are exempt from from this let's say uh, situations but clearly we're not planned to invest in russia Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
10: and we have very little investments there frankly
1: what do you think with the technology the technology that pfizer used and moderna um mrna technology It's still new, and it seems like there are a lot of possibilities for where this could be used. What's the next solution around the corner?
10: I would say that uh, the, the lowest hanging fruit is other vaccines. How to use this technology to bring vaccines that we don't have right now, or we have and they are not good enough. Flu is a good example. The flu vaccines are not very good in general. And there are other diseases that we don't have. Mm-hmm. good vaccine. So that will be, I think, the first. The second is uh, oncology, cancer. Right now, a lot of research is happening by trying to use our, to train our immune system through mRNA, not to attack the virus, as we do with uh, coronavirus, but to attack our cancer cells, to recognize them as an enemy and try to attack them. Highly revol- that will revol- revolutionize the field, if we will be able to be successful with that.
1: How far are you from that?
10: YOU KNOW, I THINK THERE'S SO MUCH WORK HAPPENING, EVEN BEFORE THE VACCINES, WE STARTED with, uh, WITH CANCER IN RNA, um, WE WILL KNOW IF WE ARE SUCCESSFUL, I THINK, IN THE NEXT TWO, THREE YEARS.
1: OUR FULL CONVERSATION IS AVAILABLE ON OUR WEBSITE AND OUR YOUTUBE CHANNEL. WE'LL BE RIGHT BACK. AROUND THE WORLD, THE MORAL OUTRAGE AT THE SCENES AND REPORTS FROM UKRAINE ARE DEAFENING, BUT THAT OUTRAGE HAS NOT DENTED VLADIMIR PUTIN'S RESOLVE. Among the many atrocities last week, Russia bombed a maternity hospital. As pregnant women tried to bring life into the world, some lost theirs. Others defied the odds. Standing next to the American vice president, Poland's leader said a line has been crossed, calling the attack an act of barbarity with the features of a genocide. VLADIMIR PUTIN HAS SHOWN TIME AND AGAIN THAT HE DOES NOT BELIEVE RULES APPLY TO HIM. THE U.S. NOW SAYS HE'S CONSIDERING USING CHEMICAL WEAPONS.
2: RUSSIA WOULD PAY A SEVERE PRICE IF YOU USE CHEMICAL
1: WEAPONS. BUT WHAT IS THAT CONSEQUENCE THAT COULD STOP PUTIN? PRESIDENT BIDEN HAS DRAWN A BRIGHT LINE TO SAY THE U.S. WILL NOT USE MILITARY FORCE TO STOP RUSSIA FROM KILLING UKRAINIANS. IS THERE A LEVEL OF CATASTROPHE THAT MIGHT CHANGE HIS MIND? Vladimir Putin has terrified European leaders who admit their past complacency may have emboldened him. Britain's top diplomat. The invasion of Ukraine is a paradigm shift on the scale of 9-11. The era of complacency is over. That new reality convinced Germany, a country that had disavowed the militant legacy of World War II, to send weapons to the war zone. BUT THAT MAKES LITTLE DIFFERENCE TO THE 2.5 MILLION UKRAINIANS WHO FLED THEIR HOMES IN THE PAST TWO WEEKS AND THE MORE THAN 40 MILLION STILL THERE. AS UKRAINIANS DEFY THE ODDS ON THE BATTLEFIELD, RUSSIA IS ESTIMATED TO HAVE LOST MORE SOLDIERS IN TWO WEEKS THAN THE U.S. DID IN TWO WARS IN IRAQ AND AFGHANISTAN. NOW WESTERN LEADERS SAY THEY WANT RUSSIAN MOTHERS TO STOP PUTIN. PERHAPS BY LOSING MORE OF THEIR OWN SONS, THEY'LL PROTEST. Realizing that they no longer have anything else left to lose. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Ukraine's Foreign Minister Dmytro Koleva, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva, Allianz Chief Economic Advisor Mohammed El Aryan, and Pfizer Chairman and CEO Albert Borlach. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we are online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday.